It's a dark night on a, in a city that knows how to keep its secrets. But there on the 12th floor of the Acme building, one man is still trying to find the answers to life's persistent questions. Guy Noir, private eye. You ever listen to Garrison Keillor? <laughs> a prairie home companion has been on the radio for decades. started listening to it when I was in in high school. Garrison Keillor, great author, modeled his radio program after the old 1940s radio programs, including that little sketch called Guy Noir. Those are my favorite ones. Guy Noir is always uh, dealing with some situation of life's persistent questions. Life's persistent questions. Everybody has questions. You've heard me say before how important I think questions are. Questions are almost kind of a hobby for me. I think questions say more about us than nearly anything else that we can confess. Our questions, especially life's persistent questions, say more about us and what we believe and where we stand and who we are than nearly anything else. I remember my first foray into life's persistent questions. I was about eight years old, and I was in the loft of our lake cabin on the border of North Carolina and Virginia. Eight years old. I had gone to bed after an incident happened on the lake. My dad was a doctor and he was called in uh, in a situation, just an emergency situation, out on the lake. Somebody had been in some kind of an accident, that's all we knew. And he came back crestfallen, disappointed. He had really gotten there too late. And uh, when I began to think about what had happened out on the lake near, near our house, I started to think about life's big questions. Uh, it triggered a, a whole flood of thoughts. And I began to, to, to wonder about eternity itself. Here I am, eight years old, and, and my little mind became a big, scary place as I asked the question, who made God? Who made God? You begin, uh, even at, 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 at any age, to think about that question of origins and beginnings. And you begin to think in ways that stretch your mind beyond the mind's capacity, but then you realize there's an appetite there. There's an appetite for the eternal. There's an appetite for, for what's bigger than what we can measure. There's an appetite what, what, what kind of appetites do you have? You have, you have appetites for, for, for food and for water and for, and for breathing and for, for exercise and for sleep. We have appetites for all kinds of things. And when you begin to realize that you have an appetite for something that's bigger than you can measure, than, than you can wrap your mind around, you realize that there's something important to these big, big questions. And you realize, too, that, that everyone, everyone has this category of God. Everyone has this, this, this idea that, 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 that there is something bigger than we are. And, and the way we relate to God shapes a life. 
It shapes us. And so some people relate to God in terms of, of life just coming from God. And, and, and everything about us and God has to do with God just being this great eternal ATM machine. And everything comes from Him. Or, or, or other people just relate to God in terms of for. And everything about life is supposed to be for God. And everything we do is supposed to, to be just in terms of some, some mission that we're on. And so we reduce life just to, to living for Him. Or, or, or other people relate to God just in terms of being under Him and constantly thinking in, in terms of making sure that we do the right thing so we don't get zapped in some way or something like that. And, and we relate to Him only in terms of being under God. And other people relate to God, well, they don't really relate to Him very well at all. They're over God. They stand over Him. And you picture Thomas even after being walking with Jesus you know, the doubting Thomas. And Thomas says, uh, uh, after Jesus is resurrected, he, he says, unless I can, I can see the wounds and put my, my, my hands on those scars, I'm not going to believe. And, and then you hear that famous line Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. A famous mathematician, Blaise Pascal, and philosopher, he said, the heart has its reasons that reason knows nothing of. The heart has its reason that reason knows nothing of. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We're exploring big questions today. Why does faith make sense? Why does faith make sense? From the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 1 through verse 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith... Though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, 
He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning we pray simply that you would increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Why does faith make sense? Why does faith make sense? You know, there are all kinds of properties or aspects of your life that make sense even though you can't measure them, right? Why do you love that person, that, that spouse or that parent or your dog, you know? Why do you, right? Why, why, why do you have such a profound sense of purpose or striving for, for a great sense of purpose or questioning what is your purpose? So much of what is the most important parts of life to us cannot be proven or measured. This, this, uh, this letter to the Hebrews, we're not quite sure who, who wrote it. Some people think it, it may be from Peter, some people from Apollos. But it was written to, a, to the Jews at a time of persecution, and it was written uh, to the Jews who believed in Jesus. And there were two different ways that people rejected faith. There were the, the, there were the Greeks who for whom the resurrection was foolishness, right? Foolishness to the Greeks. But there were Jews who also didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in in life after death. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. And so here was a a period of time when the church was just being getting going and 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 here is this this letter that summarizes that draws together the old and new testaments. And it's measuring why faith is, is so crucial to the human experience and how faith fuels life. But let's consider how faith makes sense because it makes sense of the big why. It makes sense of the scary what-ifs. And it makes sense of the all-important who of life. Faith makes sense because of the why because of the what-ifs and because of the who. First, why. Faith makes sense of why. Why? What are we here for? What's our purpose? Why is there something instead of nothing? Faith makes sense. We have an appetite for purpose. We, we are driven by why. We're driven by purpose. What fuels life is purpose. What fuels even the, the most mundane efforts of your life is something that is connecting to meaning. To meaning. Faith makes sense of why. Now, I don't, I don't mean that, that faith, it fills in the gaps of everything we don't understand. There, there's a criticism, there, there are the, the, the new atheists like Christopher Hitchens and, and uh, Richard Dawkins 
These are the new atheists that are spouting really what is a very old atheism. And one of the criticisms of people of faith is that we use faith to fill in the gaps of anything we don't understand. Well, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible does not. You can't find a place in the Bible where faith is just simply used to fill in the gaps of things that we don't understand that we could understand by measuring them. Let me, let me give you an example. Christopher Columbus. Why did he... Why in in 1492, why did Columbus sail the ocean blue, right? What would drive him? What would allow him? What would free him up from the scary, big, blue ocean? You know, in ancient days, people thought that that the sea was evil, that it was ruled by, by forces, by gods over the sea, under the sea. That the sea itself was evil, that the sea, because they experienced so much, just like we did, you, you don't know when you, you don't know that the hurricane is coming, right? Now we know the hurricane is coming. When you don't know that the trade winds will carry you a certain route from east to, from, uh, from east to west, then you can get stuck out there in the middle of it and you're, you're just gone. So people were afraid and, and, and they, th- there was all this mythology around everything that, that we didn't understand, especially things like the forces of nature and the sea. And so there was a God behind every rock and every bush. But you won't find that in Scripture. The Scriptures go back thousands of years. And what you'll find is a demythologizing of the natural forces. Now, why is that important? What do I mean by demythologize? That means that, that there is one God, that behind all of creation, only, there is only one creator. And so what ends up happening is, is it, 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 it reframes creation so that, so that what? So that Columbus might do something like explore. Why? Because you go back to Genesis 1 and it says, it says subdue the earth, be a creator yourself, develop it. Right, harness its power, understand and explore and, 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 and figure it out. And so the scriptures have always been a reframing exercise in, in understanding what is out there and what don't we know. Not a God of the gaps, not just filling in what we don't understand, but driving us to understand more. And yet... Imagine that you could know everything that everyone living knows. Now, just imagine that for a minute. What if you could know everything that everyone knows? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, it would be kind of frightening too, right? Yeah. But what if you could know everything that could be known about everything? our knowledge would still be according to sight and sound and smell and taste and touch, right? And so even if you knew everything about everything and everything that could be known about everything, even if you understood those little machines inside of a human cell that puts things back together or why blood coagulates or whatever, even if you could know everything about everything, you would still have a question And the question is, why? 
why does a carrot grow? Well, you can go down into it and you can understand just, just how the, the bits and pieces and parts and all the rest of it. And, and you can know everything about everything about a, about a carrot growing. But why? There would still be an appetite. For why? For meaning. For purpose behind it. One of the mistakes that we make is, is that we want proof. We want proof that God exists. We want proof of him. And, and it's a little bit like this. Let's just say uh, you, you know what a circle is, right? And let's just say that a circle is, it, it doesn't have any corners. Well, we already know that, right? But what if you decided, hey, look, I, I want to know, I want to see the corners of a circle. Show me the corners of a circle. Now, one of the things that we have to get right is, is what it says from the very beginning of the scriptures and even towards the end of the scriptures here in the book of Hebrews. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Now, when somebody asks you for proof of God, then you have to say, well, what part of not seen do you not understand? It's like asking for the corners of a circle. You see, if, some, if, if, if there is something, right? And we know that, right? We don't have to prove that there's something. There's something, right? What do you mean there's something? Well, we're, we're standing here today. We're breathing. We're living. There's a chair. You're sitting on a chair. There are lights. There's something. We know that. Where did something come from? Could something create itself? Right? You hear Julie Andrews. Nothing comes from nothing, right? Nothing ever could. So if there's something, there has to be someone behind the something. And Scripture attests to that fact. That behind all there is, is a person, is a personality, is, is something intensely personal. That at the center of the universe is personality. And so... To try to confine or constrain God into proof is to put him as one of the things, as merely one of the things that has been made. Or a collection or a collective of the thing that has been made. That that doesn't make sense of there being something. And so God is outside of it, above it, beyond it, transcending it. And so we have to get right. That faith is the way that we connect to God who makes sense of the why that there is something instead of nothing. Faith makes sense because there is no other way to relate to the big meaning. Because we cannot relate in terms of proof. We must connect in terms of faith. Faith makes sense because faith makes sense of the why. Faith also makes sense of the what if. The big scary what ifs. Now even though Columbus uh, sailed the ocean blue and, 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 and it was demythologized and, and he understood that if he could just harness the wind and he, and he could build the ship right and, and if he could navigate well enough by the stars, he, he could make his way across. And so yet, yet he still needed to be courageous. Why? Because... The ocean is still a big, scary place. The ocean is still a big, scary place, even if it is not full of all kinds of, of uh, provincial gods. 
it's still a force to be reckoned with, is it not? Especially back in the 1400s. But faith helps us take the risks that we need to take in order to drive ourselves into the places where we need to go. Faith makes sense because it makes sense of the big, scary what-ifs. Henry Nouwen put it this way. Henry Nouwen was a, a, an amazing uh, scholar and writer. He's got a, a, a stack of books that I'd recommend any of them to you. But one of the things he said was, um, was that he, his, his focus on God was, was, was off and was so freeing when, when he began to realize how God and faith in God allowed him, freed him to take the risks he needed to take in order to pursue his life goals. And he pictures it this way as a, a trapeze artist. And, and so he, he always marveled at, at the trapeze artists and, and, and the, the acrobats in the circus. And, and, and he, he noted one time he was watching the flyer. And, the, and everybody looks at the flyer and everybody marvels at the flyer. And the flyer's the one who leaves the trapeze and does all kind of the twists and turns and flips. And then is caught by the other person on the, uh, the trapeze that he's flying towards. And he said, but he realized where his focus was, was not, was not on the right person. That it was the catcher that made the flyer possible. He puts it this way, he says, while everyone is focused on the flyer's aerial maneuvers, they sometimes fail to see that the maneuvers are only possible because the flyer fully trusts that he will be caught. Everything depends on the catcher. This led Henry now and this led now into a new way of understanding his life with God. He said this, I can only fly freely when I know there's a catcher to catch me. How much more do you depend upon your faith than you even realize when you get up in the morning? How many days do we get up in the morning? And we presume upon the sun. We presume upon a new day that comes to us as a gift. How much more could we pursue in life that relationship, that difficult conversation, that next stage or phase or that next big challenge if we had a greater sense of faith there's something very practical about faith there's something very philosophical faith makes sense of the big why the big meaning there's something very practical about faith faith helps us to take the risks we need to take for life to flourish for us to thrive faith makes sense you can see in, in verses 7 through 10, look back at it again with me. It says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as things yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark. You go on past where I read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was received 
to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And, and then it goes on through this litany of people upon whose life we can look back and see that by faith they took the risks they needed to take, not only for their own sake, but for the sake of the people coming after them. Faith makes sense because God becomes then the catcher, the catcher that allows us to take the steps that sometimes we don't have enough courage to take apart from faith. Faith makes sense of the big why. Faith makes sense of the scary what ifs. And faith makes sense of who. I've already dropped a hint about this. Faith makes sense of the who of life. You know, most, uh, there, there are a lot of, of religions in the world, right? But one of the things that divides even the East from the West, philosophically, theologically, is, is this. That in the West, in Judeo-Christian thought, at the center of all that there is, is a person, a personality. Now think about that. What, what is most important to us is personal. It's not the what. It's the who. Faith makes sense of life because faith makes sense of the big who. And at the center of the who, at the center of life is relationship. And, and what, what is required for any relationship to work? What is required? There's one thing that's required. Just think about it. Don't call it out. Just think about it. There's something that's required for any relationship to work. Now, whenever any relationship is broken and, and, and I enter in or I, I am called in to, to, to interact and that, that sort of thing, I begin to ask myself the question, where was this thing lost? Or how is it that this thing that is required for relationship could be regained again? How is it that... That, that these behaviors or this pattern of life has affected this one thing that makes relationships work. And what is that one thing? That one thing is trust. Trust. And at the heart of it, the best definition that we have of faith, the most important understanding that we have of what faith is, is trust. It's not just mental ascent. It's not just saying, yeah, I believe or I believe that that makes sense to me or yes, I, I, I think that's true, but do I really trust it? Do I invest in it? Do I put myself into it personally? That's why it says, that's why it says in, in verse 5, Hebrews 11, verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, uh, he was uh, commended as having pleased God. Now, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Why? It's impossible to please God without faith. Why? Because Because what we're created for is for God. How do we connect with God? By faith. What is faith? It is to trust Him. It is to trust. Faith makes sense of the biggest who in your life. And that is God. 
And to trust in what is unseen is to begin to connect to God in a way that says, God, you are in charge of the universe and not me. It's to recenter your life upon God instead of upon yourself. And because of what I just said, that recentering, that is square one, trust is square one of pleasing God. Mother Teresa was interviewed by Dan Rather one time, which illustrates exactly what I'm talking about, how crucial it is that the center of all that is, is God, and that we must connect to him through trust on a personal level. Dan Rather was interviewing her, and he said to her, he said, when you pray, what do you say to God? She says, I don't say anything, I just listen. Well, he said, okay, well, well, when you pray, what does God say to you? And she says, he doesn't say anything, he just listens. And then she went on to say this, and only Mother Teresa can get away with something like this. She said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. (laughs) Boom, I love that. Dan Rather was not my favorite anyway. You see, at the center of all that is, is a person. It's why when when you enter into a conversation with somebody who wants proof of God, you can't explain it to them. It's why when, when you're calling out uh, even to your own soul and your own soul is saying, I want proof, I want evidence, I want something more than what I have, what you're doing is you're shifting your relationship away from faith onto something else and that something else is you, apart from God. You're looking for a square circle. It's why... When you think through your faith and you come up with the most uh, airtight argument for God and you lay it out there and you put it out there for somebody else and you say, wham, it leaves you cold. Because some proven doctrinal point is only going to be reduced Reducing God or reducing faith to something that can be measured. When at the center and the heart of life is not a what. It's not a why, it's a who. The center of all that there is, is relationship. It's why I say when we have the table here, this isn't a table of Religion, it's a table of relationship. It's why I often say that, that I'm not religious, right? Or sometimes I do that to strangers for shock value. When they pry and try to figure out what I do for a living, they say, you're a pastor. Oh, okay. And then I, and then they, they, I say, but I'm not religious. <laughs> they say, hmm, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. It means that the center of all that there is is not some ritualistic practice, but it is what defines you is the who. Faith makes sense because it makes sense of the biggest whys. It makes sense of all your scary what-ifs. And it makes sense of you because it connects you to the center of all that there is. And that is the who. That's why when God sent his message, he sent it wrapped in a person. 
person of Jesus Christ.